Welcome back to the Evidence-Based Rheumatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 36, Baricitinib for Systemic Lupus Erythematosus, a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled phase 2 trial. This was published in The Lancet by Wallace et al. in 2018. I wanted to talk about this paper because it is a positive randomized controlled trial in lupus. We don't have that many of those. Until the somewhat recent results with belimumab or benlista, it had been many, many decades since a new therapy had come along that was really beneficial in lupus. This also happens to be a oral, safe drug, which has efficacy in an area that I think we struggle quite a lot with these patients, so it's understandably generated a lot of excitement. For background, baricitinib is a Janus kinase inhibitor. Specifically, it's a reversible inhibitor of JAK1 and JAK2. Important cytokines that have been implicated in the pathogenesis of lupus depend on the activation of Janus kinases, and so there was some thought that perhaps baricitinib would be a useful drug. To this end, these authors went about performing a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial. 79 investigators, 78 centers in 11 countries. As far as phase 2 studies go, this was a pretty large one. To get into the trial, you needed to be 18 years or older, you needed to be diagnosed with lupus at least 24 weeks before screening, and you had to meet either the ACR criteria or the SLIC criteria. All patients had to have an ANA at at least 1 to 80, and a SLEED-I2K score of 4 or greater based on clinical manifestations or active arthritis or rash defined by the SLEED-I2K. That's somewhat active disease, so these weren't your standard lupus-stable people. These were folks who had some significant arthritis. Now, interestingly, baricitinib was added to existing stable background therapy. This could be NSAIDs, steroids, Plaquenil, or it could actually be a single immunosuppressant. So patients could be on Imuran, Methotrexate, or Celsept. Steroid dose was limited to 20 milligrams of less of prednisone per day and had to be stable before randomization. Decreases were permitted to week 16, but then they needed to be stable. Increases in antimalarials or other immunosuppressants were not allowed at any time. Key exclusion criteria were essentially bad scary lupus. You couldn't have active severe nephritis, active severe CNS disease, or a ser- recent serious infection. Patients were randomly assigned to one of three groups, placebo, baricitinib at 2 mg, or baricitinib at 4 mg. The primary outcome was the proportion of patients achieving resolution of arthritis or rash. It's an important distinction, defined by a sleet I2K at week 24. Why is that an important distinction? Well, lupus is really a bunch of different diseases. For anyone who has treated a lot of patients with lupus, you know that there are some patients who come in and have horrible mucocutaneous disease but seem to be otherwise unaffected. I have patients who only have lupus nephritis and don't have any other disease manifestations. There's folks who essentially seem like they have RA. They have active inflammatory feeling arthritis and suffer quite a bit from it. It's a very heterogeneous disease that presents in a bunch of different ways, and it's hard to design trials to treat it. You may be able to treat one aspect of disease and not impact another. Celsept, for instance, is an excellent drug for lupus nephritis, but I'm kind of skeptical that it helps the joint symptoms very much. One reason I think this wound up being a successful trial is that they did focus on the arthritis and rash. However, that also eliminates the generalizability of the trial. They only studied this for arthritis and rash, then you should really only be thinking about it for arthritis and rash. Statistical analysis was more or less appropriate. I'm getting pretty tired of saying that they designed their trial to detect the 20% difference between the active treatment and the placebo group, but that's what they've done. I think that's more or less appropriate, but it's not a very high bar. What did they find? 
Like I said, this was a big trial. 314 patients in an international cohort were assigned to receive one of the three drugs, placebo, baricitinib 2 milligrams, or baricitinib 4 milligrams. 81% of people completed the 24-week trial, so not too bad. Who was in this trial? The majority, 94% were female, and the baseline age was 44 years. The mean duration of lupus was 11 years, the standard deviation of 9. That's a pretty long time to have disease, and longer than I expected. Often we like to enroll people who have early disease in these sorts of studies, but I suspect to get sufficient people enrolled, they had to accept all comers. That's nice because it often opens up the generalizability of the study. It doesn't really matter how long your patient has had lupus, the study probably applies. Now, patients had a mean SLEDI2K score of 8.9 and a mean tender joint count of 8.3, a mean swollen joint count of 5.3. These are some relatively sick people. So what kind of patient would have a SLEDI score of 8? Well, the SLEDI score covers pretty much anything that can affect you with lupus. There's headaches, vasculitis, myositis, arthritis, urinary casts, etc. Whether or not you have each of these is given a weight. So you have arthritis with four points, you have a rash with two points, perhaps low complement with two points, and thrombocytopenia with a point. That would get you to a score of nine. That's not someone who's terribly active, but that's the kind of person who you would add therapy for. At baseline, three in four patients were receiving corticosteroids. Three quarters is a little bit higher than you'd expect in a general clinic, but among patients who have persistent active disease, feels about right. Almost half were receiving non-plaquinal immunosuppressants, again indicating that this was a somewhat active and somewhat refractory cohort. Now in regards to the primary outcome, a resolution of arthritis and rash in the SLEDI2K, at week 24, the placebo group had a 53% remission, baricitinib 2 mg had a 58% remission, and baricitinib 4 mg had a 67% remission. This was statistically significant, P equals 0.0414, they gave us three digits just to make sure that we noticed it. That's not bad when you think about it. A 14% absolute risk reduction? That means you need to treat seven people. Pretty encouraging. For a drug that doesn't have too bad of a safety profile, I think that's something that I would do. They also looked at lupus low disease activity score, which is a more broad assessment of disease activity. In the placebo group, one in four patients had lupus low disease activity. In the baricitinib 4 milligram group, two in five patients. So that's a 12% absolute improvement, or a number needed to treat around eight or nine. Treating eight or nine patients with baricitinib to bring about almost remission in at least one of them also seems to be a reasonable outcome to me. Flares were lower, a number of other secondary outcomes were lower, but as per most good papers, I don't think there's too much else we need to discuss here. Baricitinib appeared to bring about a real improvement in arthritis and rash, the primary outcome, and a number of important secondary outcomes corroborated this story. Now before we get too excited, let's talk about a couple problems with this. The first is that they used baricitinib of 4 milligrams. What's the problem with that? Well, we're worried about baricitinib 4 milligrams because there's a signal towards an increased risk of DVT in some of the rheumatoid arthritis trials. This makes me nervous. Rheumatoid arthritis is certainly an inflammatory condition that can bring about DVTs, but man, do people with lupus get DVTs. To the author's credit, 30% of patients in this trial had antiphospholipid antibodies. This is a relatively dangerous cohort. So what kind of increase in class did they see? Well, only one patient who was in the baricitinib 4 milligram group wound up having a DVT. What does that mean? It's hard to say. This study just wasn't powered to detect a difference in DVT rates. This is a problem that we see across randomized controlled trials. Randomized controlled trials are often powered to show a benefit, 
they're almost never powered to show a harm. This happened in the baricitinib trials in RA, where it wasn't powered to show a difference in DVTs, there was a numerically larger frequency of DVTs, and so the FDA ultimately wound up turning down baricitinib 4 milligrams for RA approval, so it's only approved at the 2 milligram dose. There's some contention here, and certainly a disagreement over whether or not this is a real thing. This very year, for instance, in arthritis and rheumatology, there's a nice paper by Taylor et al. entitled Cardiovascular Safety During Treatment with Baricitinib in Rheumatoid Arthritis. They looked at nine RA studies that compared baricitinib to placebo, both the 2mg and the 4mg dose, and they found that out of 3,492 patients receiving baricitinib, there was no significant difference in major cardiovascular events or thrombotic events. Now, it's kind of a weird thing because DVTs were reported in zero out of a thousand patients treated with placebo. That's a pretty low rate. If you asked me how many patients with RA would have a DVT out of a thousand, I would have said, I don't know, at least 10. So perhaps they just had good luck in the placebo group. In the baricitinib 4 milligram group, out of about a thousand patients, there were six DVTs. What does that tell us? Well, on the one hand, baricitinib was associated with a numerically higher rate of DVT. That rate was 0.6% versus 0%, which is a little bit reassuring. It's certainly not a high rate of DVT. And it's a little bit odd that there are no DVTs whatsoever in the placebo group. I'm inclined to think that there might be something here, but I'm also inclined to give baricitinib 4 milligrams the benefit of the doubt, at least in lupus for now. They enrolled a lot of people who had antiphospholipid antibodies. There was only one event, which isn't too bad. And at some point, you just have to do the risk-benefit calculus. Now, there's another interesting aside that we should discuss. This trial was designed to assess rash and arthritis, but really the arthritis is what drove the benefit. There are no significant improvements in the signs or symptoms of skin disease, really no matter how you measured it. That's not because there wasn't much skin disease. 84% of patients had mucocutaneous involvement as measured by the sleet I2K. So it looks like this doesn't really work as well for the skin disease as it does for the inflammatory arthritis. A couple caveats. Serious infections were more frequent with baricitinib 4 mg, 6%, versus 2 mg, 2%, or placebo, 1%. So that's an absolute risk of 5%, or a number needed to harm of 1 in 20. So if you treat 20 patients with baricitinib, that's associated with one extra infection. That's kind of a large number, and I'll be curious to see how this carries out in a phase 3 trial. Finally, there's a couple limitations of the study that I think actually speak favorably of baricitinib. For one, it was only 24 weeks. Theoretically, there could be an improvement that continues over a further 24 weeks, so I'd imagine the next phase 3 trial will go for a longer period of time, out to perhaps a whole year. And the second thing is that this was a very refractory cohort. These patients were already on other immunosuppressions. Half these patients were already on Imuran or Salcept or Methotrexate. What does that tell us? Well, if you're treating a population that is already receiving therapy, there's a little less window to show benefit. You wind up having a larger placebo response. So if this were instead a population of patients who presented with new lupus, were on Plaquenil but still had some inflammatory arthritis, you could imagine the benefit of baricitinib against not adding something to be even better. So in that sense, I'm actually relatively optimistic about this moving forward to phase 3 and showing benefit there as well. Before we get too excited though, let me talk about one of my favorite abstracts from ACR 2018. I think I tweeted this out at some point, but it was by Andreas Kirschbaumer and it was entitled, Phase 2 Clinical Trials Systematically Overestimate Treatment Effects of Subsequent Phase 3 Trials in Rheumatoid Arthritis. The title tells you really everything you need to know. Essentially, Phase 2 trials like this one 
often overestimate the real effect that we eventually see. There's a couple of reasons for this. One is that with smaller trials, it's certainly more likely that you'll accidentally find a benefit than with a large trial. Two is that you can run a number of phase two trials and only publish a couple. So it's possible that seeding by industry or by investigators themselves results in a systematic publication bias towards favoring positive phase two trials over negative phase two trials. And finally, phase two trials often just ask different questions. It's a relatively low bar. They're just trying to see whether or not the drug will work at all and find the right dose to use it in. Phase three trials often have a higher bar to show efficacy, a little more rigorous standards, and for that, they may attenuate the effects to some degree. There's no real guidelines for what to expect, but I think it's reasonable to anticipate a lower response in a phase three study, which in this case will make this pretty challenging. We're talking about a number needed to treat of around eight to 10 to improve arthritis with a number needed to harm of 20 for one serious infection and this amorphous, as yet ill-described risk of DVT. Regardless, I think it's exciting that there may be a new class of medications coming down the pipeline for lupus. Arthritis can be a big deal for these patients, and it would be great to have some more options to treat them. Before I leave, I'd like to do a brief plug for some things that I've been working on lately. One is that I now have a website. It's easy to find. It's just ebrheum.com, ebroom. I've also enjoyed hearing from everyone on Twitter, so please find me at Twitter. I'm at ebroom. And last but not least, tomorrow is SOTA, the state-of-the-art meeting in Chicago. I hope to see you all there. If you see me, come over and say hi. It'd be great to meet people who are listening to the podcast and get some feedback on how I can make it better. That's it for this week. Thanks again, and have a great day.